Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31, and we're going to read all the way through verse 44. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath, and he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and they said to each other, What is this teaching with authority and power? He gives orders to evil spirits and they come out? And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and he went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Uh, got three things I'm going to share with you this morning. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, that is a completely pastoral edit. I, I had like six or seven, and I thought it's the day after Thanksgiving. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a Sunday after like we've stuffed ourselves with all the turkey on Thursday. We still got little, little turkey uh, uh, problems. We're still, still full of, of all the tryptophan. So I, I cut it down. We're just going to do three things instead of six or seven. Uh, so stay with me, but, but three things I think are important for us to take note of here in our text. And here's the first. I want you to see this morning that Jesus still has the power and authority to destroy the demons that we face. Jesus still has the power and the authority to destroy the demons that we face. And so we're working through two texts. Uh, and, and if your Bible's like mine, it has little subheadings, and it kind of appears like these are separate accounts. These things happen on different days, okay, but they're connected. In fact, you see the connection there in verse 38. It says, Jesus left the synagogue. It might read to us, then Jesus Jesus is in the synagogue. He, he, he's there in Capernaum, and then he leaves the synagogue, and he goes to, to Simon or Peter's house, right, where, where he runs into his mother-in-law, and then there's, there's more healings that happen. So these texts are connected, and Luke actually writes this on purpose because of the themes that we find in both these stories are similar. And so Luke is trying to do something. Luke never does anything by accident. He's a master storyteller. So he's telling us this story. Now, last week he revealed to us that Jesus is God's rescue plan, remember? Jesus is God's rescue plan. And so so Jesus is there and he's in the synagogue in in, uh, Nazareth and he sits down and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads from it and and he reads a scripture that's about him, that uh, he's the anointed one, that he came to preach the good news to the poor in spirit, to proclaim freedom uh, to uh, the prisoners that, that that are chained in sin and to bring 
sight to the blind so that they'll see God. So Jesus reads that and he says, today this is fulfilled in your presence. Well, Luke didn't stop telling the story of rescue there. He says Jesus is uh, God's rescue plan and now he's going to show us what that kind of rescue looks like. Make no mistake, he's continuing to tell this story of rescue and redemption uh, for prisoners that are trapped in sin. And so here he begins to highlight what that kind of deliverance looks like. What, what does the deliverance of Christ look like? When he says, I've come to set the captives free, what does that look like in the flesh? And, and so he's going he's gonna to give us some examples, and they'll probably freak you out a little bit, because like on the, on the list of things that Jesus does, like, like casting out demons is pretty high up on the totem pole. But there's a reason that Luke starts here. He wants you to have, understand this. If Jesus has the authority to cast out demons, he's got that kind of power and authority, then he's definitely got the power and authority to deal with the stuff that we face, amen? Okay, that's kind of the point. That's where we're headed. And so uh, he tries to ease us into it with a story of one single man in Capernaum. And he says, oh, listen, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's in Capernaum and he's, and he's teaching and he's teaching with great authority and they are all wowed. And then comes in a demon-possessed dude, Right? I, I, listen, I, I pray you never have to deal with that. Uh, I pray that I never have to deal with that. I've had some, some strange encounters. I don't know that I'd label them there. They're pretty stinking close. Hair on the back of your uh, neck kind of deals. And, uh, but, but let's just say it's weird. Okay? It's, it's weird kind of deal. This guy comes in. He's clearly possessed by a demon. And, uh, and, and, and the demon says, listen, I know who you are. And Jesus is like, be quiet. And then he just, one word, just come out. I mean, just come out. Just come out of him. Just one little phrase. And the demon is gone. The demon is gone. The demon has no authority uh, over, over Jesus. Jesus has authority over the demons. And so he casts out this demon. And, uh, and then Luke goes on. He tells another story. He says, then Jesus leaves the synagogue in Capernaum. And he goes to, to Peter's house, Peter's hometown. Peter, Peter is married, evidently, because he has a mother-in-law. So, uh, so he's got a wife. Way to go, Peter. And, uh, and uh, there's mother-in-law sick. So he heals her. And, uh, and then after he heals her, um, he, again, more, more healings happen. And what happens? There's, now it says there are several people that are possessed by demons, and Jesus cast them all out. Jesus cast them all out, okay? So, so listen, let's be honest. We're Baptists. Uh, a lot of Baptist folks have, 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 uh, feel uncomfortable when we talk about the Holy Spirit. I mean, so, so we're talking about demons. Like, that's way up on the uncomfortable scale. So why does Luke write this, okay? A couple reasons, really twofold. Number one, Luke wants us to understand that in our world, there are people with very real problems, okay? There are a lot of people with problems in our world today, amen? Okay, of, of whom we are some, right? And, and, and those problems may be physical, but a lot of times those problems are, are spiritual. And, and so Luke begins here, like, listen, in our world, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of problems, so we need to start there. But the second thing he wants us to know is not only um, are there a lot of people with a lot of problems, but he wants us to know that Jesus has power and authority over those problems. Jesus does. Jesus has power and authority over those problems. And so um, this, is, this is where we're going to be. So, so he begins, uh, and, and Jesus starts casting out demons. Now, uh, that arises some questions for some folks, like, Pastor, do we believe that? Um, are, are there really demons? Uh, yeah, we believe that because it's in the Bible. Um, we believe the Bible to be the word of God. It, it, it's, it's true. And, uh, and so well, what is a demon? Well, Revelation chapter 12 teaches us that a demon is a fallen angel. Uh, demons are fallen angel. That's what they are, Revelation chapter 12. They're spiritual beings, which means that as spiritual beings, they can possess physical beings. Okay? Demon possession can happen. Uh, well, can it happen to Christians? No. Uh, no, it can. I'll tell you why. 
Uh, here's what the Bible says. Um, here we go. First John 4, 4. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Okay, so if you've accepted Christ, he lives inside of you by the power of his spirit, and, and his spirit is stronger than any kind of evil spirit. So, so you can't be possessed uh, by a devil if you're a Christian, or by a demon if you're a Christian, okay? So, so this is a physical thing, it can happen. Now, having said all that, typically when we talk about demons of our day, we're not talking about physical demon possession, are we? When we talk about dealing with our demons, we're not talking about some kind of physical possession. What we're talking about uh, are, are, are really um, things like addiction, drugs, alcohol, anger, fear, lust, shame, uh, abandonment, depression, pride, laziness, self-worth, selfishness, lying, right? These are the kind of things that we're talking about. When we talk about dealing with our demons, we're typically talking about these things. And, and that's not possession, That's what we would call a stronghold. It's what the Bible would call a a stronghold. And there's a difference. Now hear me, a Christian can't be possessed by a demon, but a Christian can have demonic strongholds in their life. Okay? This is what you need to understand. It means that you, it could be possible that you walk through the doors today and there is some kind of stronghold that the devil has in your life. And the reason why it's possible is because a stronghold is just a lie that you've believed. It's, it, it's a lie that you have believed. Now, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about these things. He says, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, strongholds. So, so this is going on, that there, there, there's potential that you as a believer in Jesus, that you as a Christian could have a stronghold in your life. He says, but there's good news because, because we're not going to use psychology to deal with that. Okay? We're not, we're not going to use just encouragement or something from the world to deal with that. We're not going to write a self-help book to deal with that if you've got a stronghold in your life. No, we've got weapons that aren't of this world. And, and so he goes on. He says this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what is a stronghold? A stronghold, therefore, is any argument or pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's what a stronghold is. A stronghold's a lie. Anything that opposes the truth of God that you accept as truth that is not actually God's truth is a stronghold. It is something, and in the Greek, it's a barrier. It's something that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's any thought or reasoning that's hostile to the truth of God. So we're talking about spiritual warfare. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual warfare when we talk about these things. And see, the, the truth is, guys, we have a very real enemy, the devil. He's a very real enemy, and, and he seeks to set up strongholds in our life, barriers to the truth of God's word. And some of these things may be present in your life today. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Maybe you've bought into one of these lies. It, it's just who I am. That's, that, it's just who I am. Oh, that, that's, that, that's just my thorn in the flesh. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just there. God's never going to take that away. Uh, it, well, I, I, it's just an addiction. I, I, it's anger. It's shame. Right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm, I'm never going to amount to anything. I can, I can never forgive. I'm, I'm just my, my favorite spiritual one, right? Oh, I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. It's just who I am. Okay? And, and hear me. 
Luke's point, we're going to get into this when we get to application. This is, this is why Luke is giving us these stories. He wants you to know, if, if Jesus has the power and the authority to physically cast out real demon-possessed people, then he certainly has the power and the authority to break through any lie that you have believed about yourself. You, you see me? It's where we're headed. So we've got to start here. Listen, Jesus still has the power and the authority to demolish any demons that we may face. All right, so we begin there. Secondly, sad truth that our text teaches us, okay? It's sad when the devil knows more about Jesus than the disciples. Sad when the devil knows more about Jesus than the disciples. Look at verse 34. Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus has to say that demon be quiet. Look at verse 41. Verse 41. You are the Son of God. Says, but Jesus rebuked them and he would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Here, here's the truth. At this point, at this point, the demons know something about Jesus that the disciples have yet to discover. At this point in, in, in the story, in the narrative, the demons know something about Jesus that the disciples have yet to discover. They know that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Holy One. Now, now Peter's going to be the first one to pick up on this, but he doesn't do it for a couple of years, friends. And even then, he's going to deny Christ. This is what I want you to get. You, you've got to get this, okay? The devil knows who Jesus is. And the devil knows what Jesus can do. Yeah, that's right down worthy. The devil knows who Jesus is. And the devil knows what Jesus can do. And therefore, he is going to do everything in his power to keep you from knowing what he knows. He's going to do everything in his power to keep you from knowing just who Jesus is and just what Jesus is capable of because he doesn't want you to have anything to do with that. He wants to continue to, to have a hold on you. And there's two primary methods that the devil does this, okay? You study scripture, Genesis to Revelation. You see these two methods over and over and over and over again. Ready? Here they are. Two D words, distraction and doubt. Distraction and doubt. These are the enemy's two primary weapons against you because he knows who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. He knows the power and the authority of Christ. He wants you to have nothing to do with him, so he will distract you or cause you to doubt. These are his two primary weapons. You've probably heard the saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, it'll make you busy. What's that about? It's about distraction. That, that's why in, in Hebrews 12, it's just, uh, it, it talks about, therefore, we, we're going to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, right? What, 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 the stuff that tangles, there's sin that entangles, but there's also stuff that hinders. There's stuff that hinders. There are distractions in our lives that hinder us from being the people that God wants us to be. So why does the enemy distract us? Again, because he knows who Jesus is and what Jesus can do, that he's the son of God, that he has the power to defeat Satan and, and his enemies. And he knows that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, 
If, if we get a glimpse of who Jesus really is and what Jesus can really do, our lives will be completely transformed. So he will do everything in his power to keep us away from that. So he distracts us. He distracts us with life with circumstances, with worry, with money, with the pursuit of stuff. He distracts us with TV, um, um, video games, little apps on our phone that we spend hours and hours constantly seeking after. Anything to take up our time so that we won't turn to Jesus, right? Anything. Anything. He'll distract us. What about doubt? Does Satan cause us to doubt God? Oh, you bet he does. Just think of it. Every failure is an invitation for him to feast. Every failure, every time we mess up is is an invitation for the devil to feast on us, to tell us that we're never going to change, that we're powerless, that we should just give up and give in. Think about when others hurt us. When others hurt us, the enemy's not there telling us the truth, that we live in a world full of hurt and we've often hurt other people. He would never mention that. He's going to take all those hurt feelings and he's going to reflect them onto God. Oh, you mean to tell me that there's a God? How could there really be a God if, if he allowed you to get hurt like that? It's going to cause us to doubt. Guys, this is the same strategy that we find back in Genesis, right? Did, did God really say? What's he, what is he trying to do? Adam and Eve. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree? It's trying to cause doubt. Trying to drive a wedge between us and God. It's one of his favorite tactics. And again, why does he do it? Because he knows who Jesus is and he knows exactly what Jesus can do. And, and, and he will do whatever it takes to keep us from knowing what he knows. Wow. Wow. Sad. Sad that so many of us don't know what the devil knows about Jesus. We've got to change that. We've got to. Okay, lastly, share this with you. Um, one of my favorites, uh, just two little verses here, 38 and 39. I want you to see that when Jesus heals you, you naturally want to serve him. When Jesus heals you, you naturally want to serve him. Verse 38 and 39, it says, Jesus left the synagogue and he went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and, and they asked Jesus to help her. So Jesus bent over and he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now, uh, no mother-in-law jokes here. We've just had Thanksgiving. We've been, just been around family, okay? So no mother-in-law jokes, although they may be appropriate at this time of year. Uh, but uh, he, 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 here's the story in, in, in its sim- simplest form. Uh, Jesus leaves the synagogue in Capernaum, and he goes to Peter's house. He goes to Peter's house, and, and he gets there, and, and Peter's married, and, and uh, Peter's wife is clearly upset. She's upset because her mom is very sick. Now, Luke is the only one of, of the gospel writers to say that this is a high fever. It means it's probably life-threatening. So you can imagine that, that Peter's wife loves her mother, and she's very distraught, and, and Peter loves his wife. Not that he doesn't love his mother-in-law, but he loves his wife, so he's pretty distraught, and Jesus loves Peter. And, and so, uh, and so they, they come to him, and they ask for help. Now, it just, this is totally outside of the context of the sermon, but I'm just going to say that you should probably take note of the fact they actually ask for help. Amen? Right? So I love you, but some of you need to ask for some help every once in a while, brothers. All right? You just need to do it. Because like when you're drowning, nobody comes to save you if you don't throw up your arms and scream. 
just doesn't happen. Too many Christians, I know, they try to act like this whole Christianity thing, which is like impossible already. Uh, they're, they're just a one-man show. They're an island. They try to do it all by themselves. They never ask for help. You got to ask for help, okay? So they ask for help. They're distraught. They come to Jesus. Jesus, help us. Jesus, heal. Uh, my mother-in-law, so Jesus uh, has compassion. By the way, again, for free, no extra charge, Jesus actually cares about the things that you care about. You like, just file that away. We always say, well, can, can I really pray about a job? Or can I pray about, about my, my kids? Or can I pray? Yes! Jesus cares about the stuff you care about. And so, so here, Peter's wife is distressed. It's her mom for crying out loud. She, she's hurting. She's worried, right? And, and, and so Peter then is concerned. And they come to Jesus. Jesus, would you help? Would you care about the things that we care about? Jesus, yes, I care about the things that you care about. He leans over Peter's mother-in-law. He rebukes the fever and the fever is gone again. Jesus has the power and the authority to do these things. The fever is gone. And it says, she got up at once. Phrase in Greek means instantly, immediately. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Things interesting. She's not asked to do it. Like they're, they're, they're at the home. She's not, they didn't just be like, hey, now you want to get up and make us something to eat? It didn't happen. Go get me a sandwich. Like, it's not there. Like, like it would have totally been fine for her. She just got healed of a high fever. Oh, you put your feet up. Just relax. Just rest for a little bit. Doctor's orders. Would have been fine. But, but I want you, she's not having any of that. She's not having it. She has been healed of a life-threatening fever. She immediately jumps up and begins to serve. Why? Because it is a natural outpouring. Jesus graciously heals her. She is grateful for his grace, so she gives herself to him freely. It's a natural outpouring of what has happened in her life. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you remember when you were sick? Do do you remember when sin had you at a fever pitch and death was at your door? Do do you remember that moment that Jesus leaned down over you and he rebuked sin in your life and you were set free from its power and its penalty? Do you remember that moment? This is yes. This is I don't know. This is I'm still in a turkey days. Do you remember that moment? Okay, then I'm going to ask you this in love, not trying to hurt your feelings. If you remember that moment, then why aren't you serving? Because that is a natural outpouring of that kind of grace. When we receive that kind of grace, we don't show up to the table just asking to be fed over and over and over and over again. When we receive that kind of grace, we get up and start serving others at the table. That's the natural outpouring. We, we want to serve others because of what uh, and how God has served us. It's a natural outpouring, okay? We can't forget that. So what do we do with all this? Um, let me give you some application. Now, I, I, again, I'm not trying to freak you out, but according to our text, I want to walk you through these things. So number one, I want to challenge you to remember the power that you possess. I want to challenge you to remember the power that you possess. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Ephesians chapter 6. And, and we said that we actually have an offensive weapon. 
in the armor of God, there's a whole bunch of defensive stuff. There's a shield of faith. There's, there's you know, our, our, our feet are fitted with the, the gospel of peace. Uh, there's a breastplate of righteousness. Uh, there's a helmet of salvation. There's a whole lot of defensive stuff, but there is an offensive weapon. Does anybody remember that, what that weapon is? You can shout it out. We're in church. It's okay. Sword, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, what does John 1 say about the Word of God? John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made that have been made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. So it says, Jesus, so, so the Bible is the Word of God, and Jesus is the Word of God. Right? So Jesus is the Word of God. Now, what does Jesus, the Word of God, say about Himself? John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I want to emphasize the truth there for a moment. Why? Because we're talking about strongholds in your life. Because we're talking about strongholds in your life, right? If there is a stronghold of sin in your life, it is because you have believed a lie at some point. If there is a stronghold in your life, it is because you have believed a lie at some point. I, I just have an anger problem. I, that's just who I am. I just have an anger problem. I, I just struggle with, I, I struggle with pornography. I, I'm just not an affectionate person, right? I, I, have, uh, I have trust issues. I have daddy issues. I can't get over my hurt. I can't forgive that person, right? These are, these are things that you've believed about yourself. I can't, I can't, I am, I am, I'm this, I'm that, I can't do this, I can't do this. Right? You've, you've bought into this at some point. These have become identifiers in your life. So what do you do? You've got to take that stronghold and you've got to strike it with the truth of God's word. So I, I, want, to, I want to show you what I mean. Let's, let's, let's say anger. Well, I, I just have an anger problem. I mean, too, I'm hot-tempered. I, I, I'm Irish, right? I'm, I, it's amazing how many people are Irish, by the way, right? There, there's, there's black folks that are Irish. There's Mexican folks that are Irish. There's, there's, there's pasty people like me that are Irish. Like, we're all from Ireland, evidently. Oh, I just got a little bit of a temper. Just got, I'm Irish. Really? Seriously? Can, can, I, can, I, can I tell you what the Bible says about you? The Bible says that you have a spirit of self-control if you're in Christ. That's, what the, that's the truth of God's word. You, you, you were an angry person, but now you're a self-controlled person. You were hot-tempered, but now you respond in grace and love and peace because you're walking in the Spirit. That's who you are, right? Say, say well, I, I, I just, I've got trust issues. I've got trust issues. Well, what does Proverbs 3, 5 says? It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It says, there's one person that you can always trust in. So you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I've got daddy issues. I've got daddy issues linked to my trust issues. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad left me. Yeah, mine too. I, 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 I feel like I'm always trying to earn his affection. Dude, we were in the same taxi, brother. Share a fare. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says I have a perfect father. I have a perfect father. And you know what my perfect heavenly father says? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Takes care of my trust and abandonment issues right there in one verse. Right? You, you, listen to me. 
I don't know what you have believed about yourself. I don't know how you identify yourself. But I promise you, many of you walk through the doors this morning and you walk through those doors with strongholds in your life. You have bought into a lie from the devil at some point and you didn't even know it was from the devil. I shared with you a story. A good friend of mine, her and her husband are mentors to us and she, for, the, for ages she said, you know what? I'm just not an affectionate person. I'm just, I'm just not affectionate. And because she wasn't affectionate, therefore her husband suffered, therefore her children suffered, therefore the, the church folks she was around suffered because she just wasn't that way. She just wasn't affectionate. And, but but she, she, she was working through this verse, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And she said, I believe that, that this Jesus is, is the way, uh, and the way to get to life is through truth. So I, I, need to, I need to ask, am I not experiencing life because of some lie I've believed? And so she came up, and she's praying one morning, and, and she thought about the fact that she's always labeled herself. It, one of her identifiers is, I'm just not affectionate. So she began to pray, God, is that the truth? God, is that the truth? Am I really just not an affectionate person? And God brought to her mind memories of when she was a child and she was a very loving child. She was very affectionate towards others and adults got onto her for it. Adults basically, you can't do that. You can't hug somebody. You can't, got on her. And so she withdrew when she was a child. And from that point on, she's defined herself as somebody that's not a fact. She bought onto a, into a lie when she was a child, but when she, she ran it across the truth of God's word, this is what she found. Okay? She found the, the, the fact that God said, I love you. I love you. And you need to love others as you, uh, as I have loved you. You need to love others as I've loved you. And she just, she began to say, oh my gosh. I've got to be an affectionate person. I am an affectionate person. I'm going to love people the way that God has loved me, okay? So so this is what you need to do. You need to understand. You need to understand the power that we possess in Christ Jesus. And I'm I'm going to challenge you a little bit to to, go through those things that you've identified yourself as and run those up against the truth of God's word, okay? So we start there. Secondly, uh, I want to challenge you to study the Savior. I want to challenge you to study the Savior. We need to know more than the devil. We need to know more than the devil does about Jesus. So we've got to study Christ. Super excited uh, starting in January. So when you come right after Christmas, if you're out of town, log on to the website. We're going to launch a church-wide campaign of studying the Gospels. So, so from, from January 1st until Easter, we're going to read through all four Gospels together. Okay, Our small groups, we're going to talk about the Gospels together. We're going to learn who Jesus is and we're going to do it together. It's going to be awesome. Got daily readings for everybody in the church, a little plan that you can, uh, you'll be able to download and keep up with. It's awesome. It's about a chapter a day. So, so be preparing, be praying. If you're not reading anything right now, you might want to start reading a few sentences a day and work yourself up because a chapter's coming. All right? We've got to study the scriptures. Listen, Satan doesn't want you to know who Jesus is. He doesn't want you to know the power that you possess. He doesn't want you to know that you can break free of the chains that the enemy has kept you in. He doesn't want you to know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He doesn't want you to know that he has the power to break you free of sin and that you can experience real, genuine life right now. He doesn't want you to know that because he knows that. He knows the power. And so he's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to cause doubt. So listen, I'm with you. 
I know there are stressful days and sometimes you just need to put the kids in bed and then when they start getting up 50 million times, you're like, if you get up again. Right? You don't say anything at that point. You just give them the look. You see my eyes? You see it twitching? And there are sometimes you, you got to turn on TV for a couple minutes just to, just to decompress. But you know what? Those couple minutes probably shouldn't turn into a couple hours. And those couple hours shouldn't turn into a weekend marathon, right? He wants to distract you. And when he's not trying to distract you, he's going to try to cause you to doubt. Know his tactics. Stand firm. Figure out who Jesus is. And lastly, uh, I just challenge you to remember your healing. Remember the day that Jesus leaned over you and rebuked that fever pitch of sin in your life and you were set free. Remember that. And once you remember that, you're going to want to serve. It's a natural outpouring of that. So think about that day more often. Would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Um, I pray this morning that you would just move in our midst as only you can. Uh, God, we love you. We trust you. Uh, We ask you to come and just kind of invade just for a couple minutes. Uh, Would you just invade uh, our time here? Would you speak to the depths of who we are? God, would you help us identify those areas that we've struggled? Lord, any area that we're, um, we're not experiencing true, genuine life, I pray that you would point that out this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.